Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Man to Man NBA show. This is episode 117 on our count. First time, long time, anything in between. We're very happy you're here, happening to be giving us some of your time, listen to our NBA takes, because it's a great time of the NBA season. Playoffs are in full swing. Second round games have been great. We're going to talk all about them here soon. Uh, going to talk a little bit about how the fans, us, have been interacting with players, the whatnot. I'm going to get into all that. But before any of that, I got to tell you real quick about Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the NBA playoffs, fights, UFC, MMA, and boxing. Big UFC at Boxing Night last night. If you were on Bet Online, you would have known that and had everything you needed, and even next season's futures. And do not forget that the MLB is back as well. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. My parents are going to Vegas next week. Maybe they'll check out Bet Online on their way out, see what they're getting themselves into. It's super easy to get started. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, that's BELIEVE, B L E A V. Get 50% on top of your first deposit to help you get started betting. Bet online where the game starts. And with that, I'd like to bring in a man who enjoys his fair share of bets. Mr. Liam, Mr. Hoopstar, how you feeling, brother? Hey, man, I'm glad to be back out here. I know I missed mm-hmm. a week last week. You guys held it down. You guys are actually, again, I keep saying this every time I've missed two weeks in the last month now, which is kind of uncharacteristic, I was telling you, but it's always funny and it's great to listen to the episode when you're not on it because it's just, I don't know. There's just something about, it. I was just like entertained. So I'm glad I am glad I'm back on here this week. Um, but thank you for having me and thank you for holding down as always. So. Absolutely brother. We're happy to have you back. And for everybody wondering where Mr. Elliot is, as you all probably know, we record on Sundays and today is mother's day. So happy mother's day to all the mothers out there. However, Andy had some son activities to do with his mother, and we absolutely understand that, and he's out there doing that. So he gave us free reigns on this episode to take it over and let it go at how we please, and we are very happy about that, and we'll be happy to have Andy back next week. But that means it's just a two-man between me and Liam today, and uh, we're going to get right into it because there's a lot to talk about in the NBA world. As it is the second round, and it is in full swing in the second round, there will be no sweeps. Everybody in every series has won at least one game. It's making it very interesting. And let's just jump right into the series that, while it hasn't been probably the most exciting so far, just got a whole lot more interesting in game three, and that would be Heat Sixers. The Miami Heat are up 2-1 right now, and it very easily could be 3-0. However, the return of Joel Embiid has made things very interesting. First two games of the series, the Sixers in the paint could not keep up. Bam was eating people alive. Jimmy Butler was getting to the paint and scoring at will because there was just nobody there. DeAndre Jordan can't play anymore. Paul Reed's fine, but he's not a stopper. Joel Embiid coming back, MVP candidate. Everybody knows who he is. The, the, the man from Cameroon has changed everything, and they included a blowout win in game three and now they will play game four tonight we're sneaking this recording in right before the game starts we'll do some predictions later but hoop i know you want to talk about some stuff about maybe a little joel mb talk maybe a little he talk but i know you really want to talk about mr james harden and his performance so please let me hear it i'm excited yeah i'll start with 
I'll start with the the return of Joel Embiid. Obviously, is a big factor in this series. Everybody, I mean, everybody knows that. And let's not, you know, get too excited about this because the the series shifted back to Philadelphia. Everybody knows, you know, you're excited to play a home game. All your, you know, role players, quote unquote, always play better at home. So the them winning this game was not serious. Like, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Obviously, you get Joel Embiid. He looked like he was a little bit, to my end, a little bit fatigued coming down the stretch of that game. They didn't, didn't matter because they already, you know, kind of took care of business prior to the fourth quarter um, and into the fourth quarter. So that was great to see. But this, like you mentioned, is not a series to me anymore. I just, just the fact that the Heat are up to one, they look like, for me, the best team in this series from the very jump. And it's, you know, emotional when you get your leader back in Joel Embiid. Everybody's going to play well. But you did mention James Harden, and this is where the conversation will start for me. Do you, I'm going to ask you a question first. You know, I'm going to flip it back on you. You usually ask me the All questions. Right. What yeah. What level, if you could, you know, place James Harden on a scale from 1 to 10, um, 10 being the best, obviously, one being, you know, just not bad, but just mediocre. How well do you think James Harden has been playing in this playoffs from the, you know, series one from last series to this series, um, the, the two rounds that they've been playing in? What's your scale? What's your scale rating for him so far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'll say like one is like, you know, that series against the Clippers when he got bench when he played with the Rockets and they came the Rockets came back and it had nothing to do with James Harden because he's playing that horribly and I'll go 10 as like James Harden like 2018 2019 averaging 50 points a game almost for two weeks if that's the James Harden scale we're looking at we're at like a two right now like maybe a three I mean this has been the worst he's played for an extended period of time for a long time and we saw it a little bit in Brooklyn that he may be hampered, maybe those extra pounds he's he's carrying around that have helped him for so long in his career. Now they're hindering him because he just doesn't have the same explosiveness. It were I would say this is a bottom, bottom tier James Harden performance. Similar, which we've seen in the playoffs before. He's not unknown. Like this is not a surprise. But I have actually been pretty astounded by how poor some of these the, this games have been for him. He can't finish at the rim. The step back three is not going in. He's turning the ball over. So I, I know you're going to get into it. So I'm going to give it back to you because I know you want to cook on this. But uh, that, that's where I'm at. It's like a, a three at the absolute max right now. Right. And I agree with you. And this is kind of where I'm going to start to to pick apart James Harden in terms of we're not seeing the you know prime James Harden anymore. Um, to begin with, I believe James Harden in the first series against the Raptors um, was second most in minutes per game at 40 minutes a game. So he was playing a lot of the minutes in that series. He's only averaging 19 points. If you're getting into the game and you're supposed to be this, you know, end all be all, they made a big trade for you. You got where you wanted to be. This is your platform now to take a 76 er team that was almost on the brink of, you know, besides Kawhi Leonard making a miraculous shot, which was a travel. We'll not, you know, talk about that a couple of years ago. Um, but they were one game away from making it to the finals, right? So to think that James Harden is now this guy that they brought in because Ben Simmons 
obviously is a head case in himself. And you got this, you know, platform to take the 76ers to that next level. This is your time. And when you're playing 40 minutes a game and you're only averaging 19 points, that's not the James Harden we know. I know he I know he averaged 10, almost 10 assists, if not 10 assists in that series, but that was always part of his game and passing. You know, he can always he's not a bad passer. So don't get me wrong. Yeah, his numbers are up and assists a little bit, but this is the time for him to take over. Like we need that. James Harden that everybody loves and and got to love type of player. I don't know if it's, you know, the weight that he put on. I know that was a little bit of a thing, but I mean, this is where my conversation with him is like, it's a one for me. His, his He's not playing up to standards at all. He could be, I mean, I would rather have Tyrese Maxey in the game the entire time instead of James Harden right now, you know, because A, James Harden just demands the ball a lot but you're not getting production. Same with Tyrese Maxey. He he doesn't demand the ball, but if you put the ball in his hand, at least you're getting production, right? So that's where I'm kind of seeing where maybe it was a a good thing that they made the trade just because it kind of like, you know, quiets the talk. They kind of got the person they want, but at the same time, the person they want isn't the guy that you're getting on the floor. You know what I mean? So I don't want to go too 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 in depth, but that was the where I start the conversation with James Harden because this is, I mean, this is his time to do it, and he's just not doing it. I don't know what else you got on that, but I'll let you you say what you want a little bit. Yeah, no, you're 100 correct, and I think there's uh, something to the fact that you know James Harden's game. He was one of the first players in the of this modern era to really predicate his game on getting foul calls. It was what he did. And he was, and people kind of since modeled their game around that. When you have Joel Embiid, who has almost perfected that game, the refs are not going to call everything. They're just not. Eventually they're going to be like, you know, I'm just a, maybe a foul, but I'm not blowing the whistle. And they're going to give the benefit of the doubt right now to Joel Embiid because he's absolutely gigantic. He's seven, three James Harden, who's a smaller guy. I mean, he's obviously still gigantic compared to us. But to the general person, or to the NBA player, I should say, James Harden's a much smaller guy than Joel Embiid. He's just not going to get those calls. And when you aren't getting those calls and the rest of the game starts to fall, it's tough. But, yeah, I do want to talk about the Heat because the Heat have, like you said, they've looked really, really good up until they they had one game against Atlanta. It was the first game in, in Atlanta where they didn't look great. First game against the Sixers. They don't look great. It makes sense. First game going in a way for in the playoffs is going to be a little rattling. The home crowd's amped up. This is going to Philly, a notoriously hard place to play. Are you nervous at all about how they looked in game three? Because they did look very bad. Or does this team just look so good? Because for me, this series, like you said, I, I still very easily see a 4-1 or a 4-2 coming down the pipe here. Yeah, I mean, when you when you – rely like for the 76ers when you relied on Danny Green going what seven for ten or something from three-point range who else was hitting threes Cork Moss was in there hitting threes too when those guys you I mean you're gonna have games like that so for the heat and for me what I see from the heat this is nothing you know out of the ordinary in terms of like I said to be to start like let's not overhype this win for the 76ers because they, this is their first game at home in this series. The Heat, kind of what you mentioned, have a tendency to, you know, take a step back and, you know, the flip-flop in their first game on the road. 
I still think this is a, you know, I'm agreeing with you 100% 4-1. Maybe the 76ers, if James Harden decides to be a man and step up and score a 40-piece, they could sneak another one. But the the conversation I've seen, especially over, like, Twitter and stuff is, like, this is a series now. And this is not a series. I still don't see this a series at all. Because when you have Tyler Hero that's just out there just – you know, he he can get whatever he wants, basically. Jimmy Butler, who had a great game in game three, just kind of just controlling. He had a quiet, quiet 25-plus game, 25-plus point night. And it was like they're still in the game, too, to an extent. But I don't know. I think, I mean, like you said, I just don't see this game or this series. I mean, it's 4-1. I mean, the Heat are going to make the adjustments and turn on the switch that they normally do and what their, you know, heat culture does. And they got the perfect mix. We got Victor Oladipo playing some minutes. We have, what's his name, Strauss or whatever, the, mm-hmm. the guy who replaced uh, Duncan Robinson in the minutes lineup. So when you have players you can just plug in and get production out of, I'm not worried at all, at all. Yeah, no, definitely not. Max Struess, Andy and I talked a little bit about it last week. He's probably not as great a pure shooter as Duncan Robinson, although he's definitely had better numbers this year. He's just a little bit taller, a little bit stronger. He can match up with these guys a little bit better. He's played great minutes. And Victor Oladipo has been the surprise of the playoffs for me. I thought that man was washed to no end, not to any fault of his own, just multiple injuries, and his game was predicated a lot on athleticism. Now he's finding ways to get buckets for this team. And, and he's been a really, really good third, fourth option for them in the playoffs. And I think if he can continue to show out like this, this Heat team is much scarier than we originally envisioned them coming into the playoffs to be as already a one seed. So, yep, I, I'm with you. I do think this Heat team is just at another level. Joel Embiid's been great, but Bam Adebayo is not going to play as poorly as he did again. And he's more capable of guarding anybody, anybody in the league than Joel Embiid. So, I think it's still heat pretty firmly in the driver's seat, but we will know after tonight how the game, how the series is looking going back to Miami. All right, we'll take it out west to the 1-4 matchup out there. Suns-Mavericks, this game just ended not too long ago, and the Mavericks have tied the series up 2-2. Home team has won every game so far. It has been an interesting series to say the least, Partly because it's it getting a little chippy, a little physical. There's art. There was like two techs assessed in the first two minutes of the game today, or something like that. It's just the Mavericks team. They've been a little chippy all year. The Suns team, I think, is starting to show a little bit of winter fatigue, which is you know tough to describe. It's basically like when you win so much over a long period of time, and then things go a little bit wrong, it can really start to hinder the team, which seems like it had the opposite effect. But we see it all the time in the NBA. And it's just that in a four games, I we have seen every version of the Suns. We've seen the Suns team that looks like they should beat every team by 40. And then we've seen the Suns team where it's like these flaws that this team has are going to absolutely tear it up from tear it from within. So I'll give my take real quick on it, then I'll pass it to my man Hoop, who happens to be wearing a Phoenix Sun shirt right now. So we know how he's feeling about this. But I'll say that Luca's performance in these games, even today, he did not play great today. He didn't shoot the ball well. He made some good plays down the stretch, but he was one for 10 from three, very un-Luca-like. His, the Mavs have made a masterclass of how to build around a superstar because every player on the Mavs roster is built for how they play next to Luca. 
Dorian Finney-Smith, Maxie Cleaver, Jalen Brunson, uh, Dwight Powell, uh, Davis Bertans. Guys like that have really found roles with this team because they can go post up in a corner somewhere or they can rim one, whatever it may be. Luke can toss it up. The Suns have found a way to really break that up on the offensive end because they've been able to hunt Luca out on pick and rolls, which has been great. That's how they're getting a lot of points. DeAndre Ayton lobs to the rim all day. The Suns have not figured that out on the defensive end yet because it feels like the Mavericks are getting an open three every possession. They shot like 21 for 44 or something like that from three today. That's absurd numbers. I mean, and it's the, the all those guys are good shooters. In the NBA, guys, should, teams should never be shooting around 50% from three just because they should be contested in some fashion. If the Suns cannot figure that out, which for me, my adjustment just as a fan and as a viewer is that I'm pro- you've probably got to open up the paint a little bit. Is Luka getting his paint points? Yes. I'm taking my chances with Dwight Powell. You need to start guarding the arc. You need to – because you, you will get three-bombed out of the building. I do not think they will destroy you in the paint. They can rain threes and run you off the court, though. That's what the Mavs have done for the entire back half of the season, basically. I don't think the Suns are in trouble. I think going back to Phoenix is going to – this is a great time to go back to Phoenix. Maybe get at least – go up 3-2 coming back to Dallas. You're probably feeling pretty good. But the Chris Paul difference from when he's on the court and when he's not on the court is a little scary for the Mavs considering how when he fouled out today, it looked like the wheels almost fell off for a second. So I'll pass it to you, Hoop, with your son's shirt on. Those are just my observations as a as a, a removed fan to an extent trying to see what's going on with a little bit more skin in the game about it. How are you feeling? Yeah, so I'll start with the Mavericks because I think I mean, you touch on – building around a superstar that I do want to touch around because you are a hundred percent correct. And it's almost bad radio when I agree with you so much mm-hmm. about certain things, but this is perfect because you have a, a playmaker. I would say Luka Doncic. Yes. He can shoot a, the three ball. Yes. He can get to the paint. Yes. He can pass the ball. And yes, he's built big enough that he can, you know, rebound the ball. So he is a complete playmaker. You look down their lo- roster, Brunson, um, Finney Smith, Kleber, Bullock, Dinwiddie, Bertans. There's one more that I wanted to mention. Uh, guy from uh, France or something. Ne- uh, Frank Nicolia, whatever. Oh, yeah. Frankie Smokes. Frankie yeah. Nikita, yeah. All, mm-hmm. you, you look at that. That's six players that all can light it up from three. So you can let Luca have the ball, create, pick and pop with uh, Bertans or, you know, Kleber, whatever you want to, they can shoot the lights out of ball. So that building around, you know, you you talk about, I, I want to kind of mirror what the Lakers were trying to do at an extent, put shooters around LeBron James. Dallas Malik took that blueprint to, you know, to a T and did it actually. So for the Mavericks, yeah, they're scary when they're knocking down shots, which we saw tonight. I mean, first half, they were just, pretty much on fire, right? Like you, you look up and there's another three going in. So when they shoot it that well, yes, I mean, they're, they're hard team to beat. And that's exactly what Luca kind of said in the press game uh, interview um, or post game interview. Um, but I'll switch it to the Suns because that is where obviously I have the Suns winning the, the finals this year. 
you mentioned it too. I'm agreeing with you again that Chris Paul fouling out. First of all, having four fouls in the first half is the first time in his whole career. Game before that, I think he had seven turnovers, which was a first time in his playoff career too. So when he is not playing at the 100% that the Suns have kind of relied on, you're totally correct. The Chris Paul difference is unbelievably scary. So, A, I think the last two fouls on Chris Paul were hands down the softest calls I've ever seen in an entire NBA. Um, I'm sure the Suns will send in both of those along with the Devin Booker foul and along with uh, the Cameron Johnson foul, I believe it was, that were just touch fouls um, late in that game. Um, and the NBA will hear about that um, probably behind the scenes. But that's – I mean, that's crazy. I don't even want to get into that bullshit. But, um, yeah, Chris Paul, for me, you you see – how much he means to this team, even being at the stage of his career he is. And to be honest, they almost made a run with him off the court there um, going into the fourth quarter, put him right back in, picked up his sixth foul. And it was like, are the referees just headhunting Chris Paul? Let's get Chris Paul. We don't like his antics or whatever. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little worried just because I'm more, I am kind of a, a fan a, Phoenix Sun fan and I have a big future on the Suns winning but at the same time I'm not as worried because this was a fluke kind of ending to this game and you can't not think that Chris Ball will be finishing games you know you you count on him coming down the stretch I'll take Chris Ball over anybody in the NBA in the last five minutes if it's close you know I want him on my team if he has the ball in his hand I'll live or die with whatever the outcome is so not too worried, but I am. I mean, it is getting a little more spicy, especially because it's 2-2. I mean, 3-1 would look better going back to Phoenix, but, hey, it is what it is, and that's why we watch the games, right? Absolutely. And something to, to bring up is that, just generally speaking across the board, you shoot better in your home court on your home court, like you talked about earlier with the uh, Sixers. Role players play better on their home court. It's where they're used to shooting. They just have their better routines, everything. We're going back to Phoenix. Do I expect the Mavericks to shoot 50% from three again in Phoenix? Absolutely not. No way. It just, it won't happen again. It's a statistical anomaly to do it once, to do it twice. And then once on the, on your away court, it's not going to happen. That's why I think the Suns probably feel okay right now. And like you said, they had a shot in this game and it felt like the Mavs pretty much start to finish were dominant. And at one point this game was 82 78 and it was very much within striking distance. Then the Mavs went on a run because they can hit back-to-back threes. Dorian Finney-Smith hits back-to-back threes. And then all of a sudden, four-point lead to ten-point lead going into the fourth quarter. That's a totally different game, and there's no Chris Paul. I, I I can see where there would be some worry for Suns fans. But right now, I think taking care of game five on your home court, you should do that. You should be able to do that without much of a stress because you are the best team in the NBA. Take care of that, and you're feeling all right. That's Watch what you. I got to say about the Suns. Yeah, watch Chris Paul try to get some 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 foul calls against you know that that light you know you know touch foul calls early in this in Game Five because he's gonna he's gonna look for it. He's gonna say referees, you're gonna if you're gonna call it this way, call it this way. And if he doesn't get it, then that will kind of get the kind of set the tone. So watch for those. You know, he got that one backing into Jalen Brunson. You know, um, foul. Watch him do that maybe once or twice more early in the just to set the tone of like if the referees are going to call it, then call it. If you're going to call it offensive, okay, I know 
I won't do that. Um, watch them, you know, do some pump fakes, try to get somebody in the air and get the silly fouls. Because I know, knowing Chris Paul, he's probably pissed that A, he fouled out and B, that they lost this game. So, yeah, he's already thinking about that, that rip through move, how many times he's going to do that when he gets yeah. the chance. And no gets no, no question. <laughs> All right. We'll take it back out east with the series everybody expected to probably be the best series uh, in the second round, although it's been probably a little less exciting than expected, although it is only 2-1 with the Bucs up right now. That would be Celtics-Bucs. Uh, the Bucs stole game one in Boston. I say stole only because winning a game on the road in the playoffs ever is stealing it because they did dominate that game pretty much start to finish. Um, before we go into the Bucs, because there's one major thing to talk about with the Bucs, and that would be Giannis Antetokounmpo, I want to talk about Jason Tatum. The guy who was probably the second half MVP of the season led this Celtics team in pretty much every offensive statistical category, specifically points for most of the season has been super, super hot in these playoffs, but then has also had games like game three where he kind of just disappears. Jason Tatum is, is still a young player by age, but I think we can all agree when it comes to playoff experience we should be kind of past this point. We shouldn't have these game three experiences with Jason Tatum. I love Tatum. I think he's been awesome all season. But if the you're going to beat a team like the Bucs and you're going to beat Giannis, you have to match him superstar for superstar. And all, the only thing this series has shown me is that Giannis is still heads and shoulders above guys like specifically Jason Tatum. So, so I'll ask you about Jason Tatum, but also just what are these other Celtics things you're seeing this series that show this Bucks team is pretty much owning them more often than not in this series. Yeah, I, this is I, – I, it's funny because I, I I told you this before we started recording. It just brings up old takes that you have about teams from the very beginning of the season, even from coming from last, last year and how this team is just built. And I've been a strong just believer that – the, the duo of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, when it comes down to it, just is not going to get it done. And it's not getting it done this year. It didn't get it done last year, and it didn't get it done the year before. So why do we keep just, you know, yeah, Jason Tatum had a great, you know, first-round series. It looks like, you know, he locked up KD. Everybody's trying to, you know, make this narrative like Jason Tatum's the real deal. Not to take anything away from him, but in this setting and on this team, he's, A, not performing well. I think he's shooting under 35% from the field in this series. Can't do that to win a, to, you know, win A, a game, or B, an NBA Finals, which this team thinks they can do. It just, yeah, I'm a little salty because I don't like the Celtics, but at the same time, when the narrative has been, what are they going to keep these two together? Who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the two guy? Who's going to be the leader? It's just been the conversation now for almost three years of when it doesn't, when they don't get it done, who do you look to? And now we're looking to Jason Tatum because he's not performing well. But at the same time, I don't think he's the biggest problem. He just, this just dynamic on this team is just not the best fit for him. So I don't know. It's it's tough if you're a Celtics fan. I know I got a couple Celtics fan out there that, you know, diehard Celtics fan, and they're probably looking at this series a little scary. But 
when you get so high, I'm beating a Nets team that is obviously not the Nets that we all thought they were going to be. And that's a whole nother conversation that we've had, but you can't just, you know, have all this confidence and being like, yeah, we're going to win the NBA championship. And then in this series, if you're Jason Tatum, I would say in game four, take over. I'm taking 40 shots. I, I need the ball in my hand. I have to get going for us to be, he has to be the number one guy and I have to get going, give me the ball, live or die by me. And then once I get going, then we can get Jalen Brown. We can get, you know, Marcus Smart involved. So for me, it's been the same old story for the last two, almost three years now with this team. And I don't think they'll get it done. I Bucks are, are going to handle this series. It's almost like, you know, the 76ers series. I think the Bucks will win 4-1. Maybe the Celtics sneak another one and it'll be 4-2, but I don't know. Yeah. I, I Something that I think is just really – because I agree with everything you've said. And I, I, you know, I've always believed that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are a very, very good combination. But I think this kind of goes back to my original point that this is Giannis out of Nkupo you're playing. Like you can physical around Kevin Durant to an extent. You can physical around. I didn't even mention him. (laughs) Yeah, ninety nine percent of players in the NBA, you cannot physical around or out physical whatever description you want to use. Giannis, (laughs) you can't. The Celtics defense that's been prided on. Yeah, we're gritty. We do it this, this, and this way. Giannis drives through the paint and dunks on three of your players like four times a game. You're not. you, You can't out physical that. He's the freak for a reason. So. You can have every advantage in the world as the Celtics team. And I thought they did coming into this series. They had the momentum. Chris Middleton was out. I, Jason Tatum had been playing great. Jalen Brown was shooting the lights out. Role players were doing everything. And you run into a buzzsaw. That's just Giannis. It's tough. It sucks, but it's the truth. It's the reason we pretty much all, besides you, took the Bucs going to the finals. And then you took the Nets, and then the Bucs were basically your number two team. I mean, it's there's we've talked about it all season. You have to have a top-level guy or two top-level guys to win an NBA championship. I have a the question Celtics. for you, Dan. I have a question yeah, for ahead. you before you continue. Yeah. So, in terms of – is Giannis the best player then in the NBA, do you think? As I think right now – I right now it was, it is very hard for me to argue anybody else. If you ask me right now who I think is the best player in the NBA, I would tell you Giannis. Okay. Right, then we're on the same page. Yeah. I didn't know if, we, yeah. if you were going to verge. I didn't know if you were going to – Bring back out your your Nikolo, uh, <laughs> Jokic. Jokic. Well, it's tough because he's not playing anymore. I, I, but you know, I, I still believe I will take it all the way that Jokic deserves MVP this year. But Giannis is a better player and a more dominant player. I don't think that's even an argument just because of you look at the games. Did he scores forty points? And it really at no point looks like that much of a struggle. Like it, it's it's kind and of you know insane. what's even more scary now that I'm thinking about it? they don't even have Chris Milton out there on the floor. No, they don't. They one of their major floor spacers, one of their better ball handlers, a six seven four with a good handle who can shoot the lights out given the opportunity, is not playing. And Giannis has gotten better. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. He's where it's a, it's hard to understate how good he is or how to overstate how good he is, I should say. I'm I'm really, really just believe that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown could be having this series of their life, but right now y- you can't guard Giannis, and that's why I took the Celtics coming into this series after three games. I want to switch my pick. I want Bucks 
And then shout out to Drew Holiday too. I mean, he stepped yeah. up in the absence of Chris Middleton, kind of realized that he has to step his game up. I was seeing some interview with him he had on some other podcast, or maybe it was just, you know, from a reporter, but he was like, I think it was a podcast. It might have been JJ Reddish's podcast, but I'm not sure. But he was like, When did you realize that you were actually good? And he was sitting there saying, like three years ago, I actually knew that I was good. And this is where you his time is to show the world when you believe it yourself, when you get moments to step up in times when you got a player down like Chris Milton and you're the next, next best, probably, I would say, you know, probably top 10 point guard, maybe um, in the NBA, this is your time to show the world. This is his time. And he's doing exactly what he has to do. I mean, shout out to Drew holiday, man. Holiday yeah. brothers out here. But. Absolutely. And also I want, we don't talk about him too long, but I want to shout out Brooke Lopez anchor in the paint Brooke <laughs> Lopez and Giannis in the paint has made that not an option for the Celtics I mean though it has shown itself that the, the where the Celtics do have an advantage in this series is the Bucks are not defending the three very well however the Celtics haven't been knocking them down at the rate needed to really take advantage of it but going in the paint is just not an option for the Celtics right now and it has been all year Jason Tatum has been and Jalen Brown have been bullying their way to the rack it's not happening with Brooke Lopez and Giannis in there and so I, I've been very impressed with Brooke Lopez's defense. He's always been a good defensive big rim protector, but he's really shown out this, this series. So shout out Brooke Lopez. Cause he's just been playing great ball. And, and he missed a lot of this season. Yeah. He, what, he missed 40 some games this year and in the yeah. comeback and not really almost mm-hmm. not even miss a beat kind of rolling into the playoffs and getting back into playoff forms. I'm telling you the bucks, man, this is a scary team. And we got a lot. I mean, Everybody, see, this is the conversation. Everybody expects the Bucks. Oh, they'll be there around, but everybody else is like, all right, the Heat are going to be the team that could do it this year. You know, we thought that, well, at least I thought the Nets were the team that could beat the, you know, the Bucks this year. Even the 76ers adding James Harden could be the team to beat the Bucks. Everybody's chasing the Bucks in the East, I feel like. And we don't even have that conversation because I don't know why it's not the conversation, but through and through the bucks are the best team in the eastern conference and they've been the best team in the eastern conference for probably the last three years so yeah you know what are we actually talking about if the bucks are like this without one of their you know superstars in chris Milton, i mean this team is scary if they get clicking in the next you know next round and into the you know finals so yeah it, it, they're they're not at 100 percent right now and they still look really damn good. So good. I mean, the Bucks are awesome. I, I do. I'm very happy. We still get at least two more games in this series, but yeah, I think the Bucks have, have shown so far that it's uh, it's probably, probably it. And, and although I should say the Marcus smart foul at the end of game three, <laughs> Come on, I, 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 I understand it's a, it's a foul on the floor and I see why the refs called that. I am yet to see a replay where I was like, damn, that was on the floor for sure. It looks like he could be shooting that. That missed free throw Marcus Smart had, perfectly executed. They had a lot of looks at the rim for it. Should have, I mean, if Al Horford makes the first layup, we go to overtime, we could be having an entirely different conversation. So should point that out. But it, it, it's, you know, if you can't steal that, that one, again, you have that good of an opportunity, it's not looking good. Well, Celtics had every opportunity to, yeah. A, win that game and then 
beat a force at overtime. You know, you get three, four chances down the stretch of the game. You know, you miss – I think you miss a go-ahead bucket late with, like, 40 seconds left, and then the Bucks come down and get a bucket. That's why – I mean, that's situational basketball. And then you get the Marcus Smart foul. You get the opportunity with Al Horford missing a, a easy bunny, basically, to me. Um, I don't know if Al Horford's at the time in his career that he would say that's just a gimme anymore. But, hey, no – He's an NBA player. We got to respect him. But at the same time, like, you get three, four chances like that in a game. That is what wins or loses series, you know, and then you hit it right on the head again. It's like we could have a whole nother conversation if that, you know, they take advantage on one of those situations. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. That's that's the playoffs, baby. That's why we watch this stuff. That's the playoffs. And and the statistics show, and this makes good sense, but it's important to remember this. I don't have the exact percentage, but they they flash it almost every single time it happens. Teams that go up 2-1, like, they win the series, like, 78% of the time or something like that. That game three after a 1-1 split is so stupidly important. And when you have a chance to win it on the road like the Celtics did and you can't take advantage of it, it's 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 a backbreaker. It's It's – really really tough especially in a game where you had so many opportunities like you said so that is Celtics Bucks and then last series Warriors Grizzlies it it, I it could be the most entertaining series for some people I don't know I'm sure I would say that it's definitely can't miss television uh we knew it'd be a fun series I did not realize it would be so chippy I I I I like both these teams a lot the Warriors are kind of I, I was talking to Andy about last week this seems like you know savvy vets versus young upstarts and that was going to be the coolest part about the series for me but we haven't really had a game in this series without somebody getting pissed off about something we had you know dylan brooks undercutting gary payton uh the second which sucks and get suspended for it we've had draymond doing draymond three things uh we had in this last game jaws saying that you know jordan Poole intentionally ripped at his knee which Ja, I love you, brother. That's a bad hill to die on, my man. I don't like I I've known a lot of dirty basketball players in my life. Never once has somebody gone, I'm gonna yank on that guy's knee while he's standing up to hurt him. It just that's that's I've never ever heard of that in my life. Uh it's been fun to watch the off the great offenses, the awesome performances. Ja played out of his mind game too. This Warriors team, Jordan Poole, Steph Clay playing great. Uh, you know. John the Kaminga, youngest playoff starter in like the last two decades or something like that. That that all has been cool, but it's been overshadowed by the fact that there's been these injuries and this chippiness to the series, which is a little, it's unfortunate. I'd say it makes it more interesting television, but it's definitely unfortunate from a basketball standpoint. Now, as we talked about that with that knee injury, it's been announced Ja will miss game four, which is a, a major blow for the Grizzlies. I know they've been good without him this year, but this is the playoffs. It's different. This is the Golden State Warriors. You need your best players on the floor. And Ja is the Grizzlies' best player by far. Brandon Clark, who was absolutely huge for this Grizzlies team in the Timberwolves series and in game two, has definitely not been the same guy. The Warriors have actually been game planning for him, which is kind of crazy to think a team has the game plan for Brandon Clark, but that's what's happened. And Jaron Jackson Jr. had some good games, but he's just too hot and cold to really be able to trust them. It's only 2-1, but the series is in the bay for one more game. There's no jaw. It could be a 3-1 lead going back to Memphis for game five. If I'm a Grizzlies fan right now, I'm nervous. What do you think, Hoop? 
Yeah, if you, I mean, I am a slight Grizzlies fan. I grew up watching them, obviously, too. But um, the biggest thing for me is John Moran. Obviously, it's it's just like a it is a, it is just a, a basic take. And when you have a player like John Morant, where, who is averaging what 38, 37, 38 points a game in the series, what are we talking about? What are we actually talking about? You take that away from a team, this team has no chance. The guy that is just explosive, they look to him to have the ball in their hand, obviously. And you take that away from a team that I think after game two, Jaw over there chirping uh, Steph Curry, talking about, I'm here, we're about to take this, this or that. I mean, you can't do that to the Warriors, man. I don't care who you are, Jaw. I don't care how good you are. You can't look at Steph Curry. You can't look at Draymond Green. You can't look at Klay Thompson and be like, yeah, I'm about to take this or whatever the fuck he said. I don't know what it was exactly, but he was chirping them. You can't do that. These guys already play with a chip on their shoulder this year because they think this is, you know, everybody's healthy. Everybody's back. This is the continuation of a dynasty in their eyes. They expect to make it to the finals. They expect to win the finals. And when you when you start to have that kind of, I don't know, jawing back and forth, the chippiness that you mentioned, this team, you can't do that against the Warriors. You just shut up. You actually just grind it out, and you show them that on the court, without all the hoopla and talk, that you can beat this team, then afterwards you can start maybe sprinkling in some trash talking this or that. But you're waking up a team that doesn't need to be woken up when you're sitting there talking to them. I think that's a little bit of like trying to get them out of their game and, you know, get Draymond worked up because we know he's a very emotional player. That That's what they want. You know what I mean? If you're the Warriors, you want Draymond kind of juiced up every game. Not that you need him because he's coming juiced up anyway, but an extra little juice from Draymond? Come on. it's The series is over, especially if John Morant. A, he'll be out game four. It's going to be a blowout. I'll predict 25-plus for the Warriors. And then if John Morant, you know, comes back and he's not ready, it's I mean, the series is over. So, I mean, it's yeah, that's almost all that you have to say if, at this point. Unless you got, I mean, shout out to Jordan Poole too. I want to mention that mm-hmm. this guy shooting forty three percent from the three point line, second lean score behind Steph Curry. I think he's in this series is one or two points behind him. Come on, Jordan Poole, welcome to the league, as I like to say. Welcome to the league. It's it's yeah. unbelievable. It is unbelievable to think that he's outplaying almost to an extent Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. And he's doing it with ease. Yeah. I don't know your takes about that. No. No, I'm with you. I love Jordan Poole's game. So, I, you know, I, I watched him a lot of Michigan. I never, ever thought he would be this good. I don't think anybody did besides the Golden State front office and Jordan Poole himself. But it's to the point now where every time he shoots a three, I think it's going in. And the only other guys right now in the league that are like that are Steph, really. And then <laughs> I was talking to Andy about this last week. I, it has now since changed because he's been struggling this series. Before the series start, every single three, I'm pretty sure I ever watched Desmond Bain shoot winning. Like, I, I I don't have the stats to back that up, but I had a feeling that was the case. But, like, Jordan Poole, every time the shot goes up, I'm like, that's cash. I mean, it, it's it's kind of crazy how good he's been. But it, it's it's just like you said. it's It's gotten to the point now where if you're the Grizzlies, 
this is something I thought about. This is the first old head take I think I've ever had in my life where as soon as I thought of it, I was like, damn, that's kind of old head of me to say. The Grizzlies are talking shit to this Warriors team. And they're like, oh, we got a series now, this, this, and this. This Warriors team played the LeBron James Cavs in three straight finals. They don't care. Like, you're messing with the wrong guys. You Like, they don't give a shit about the Memphis Grizzlies. Are you kidding me? They played LeBron James and that group year after year after year on the biggest stage. They blew a 3-1 lead. They, they've done this. They do not care that you're trash talking at half court. I promise. It, you're messing with a different animal. I love it. I love seeing the young guys with that fire. But like you talked about, you're giving the, the Warriors, a team who has done this a hundred times, another reason to want to beat you. It's not working. It's not. You're, I, I think if the, and I get that's how the Grizzlies play. And again, I love it. You got to have that fire. It's not working against Golden State. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing too is the Warriors in this series have just shot the ball too well. Yeah. You know, I, I think I saw a stat after the last game. They're shooting a, a total over 50% from the floor for the entire series, which is you can't, nobody can beat the Warriors doing like if the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors are shooting over 50% from the field, you, you're you not winning. You know what I mean? Like it's because probably half of those are going to be three point attempts anyway. You know what I mean? And so I don't know. It's, I mean, you, you, you add Jordan Poole, you add Jordan Poole into the mix. Clay Thompson does need to step up and they'll need him later, uh, especially against the Suns, I think, um, unless the Mavericks, you know, pull off the unthinkable, but they will need Clay Thompson to kind of step back into the role that he did play in the last, you know, when they made their three or what, four, what they win? They won two, right? And went the through. Warriors. Yeah, uh, the Warriors have three, and then they so they I, I think they actually played the Cavs four times in a row, and then they lost to the Raptors. So I think they oh, went okay, win, yeah. loss, win, win, loss. I believe. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, they do need Clay Thompson. Uh, you can't just you know rely on Jordan Poole to continue at this high level. Um, that's my only criticism from the Warriors standpoint. Like, we need Clay Thompson to step it up a little bit more. Um, I know his three point percentage has kind of been down a little bit. But he's still probably getting back into his, you know, game shape, honestly. But they will need him. And then Draymond Green, I know his name has been kind of thrown around on social media, you know, talking about us reporters. Um, you know, this is time for the truth talk. We're not going to let you sit out here. Buddy, ain't no way, nobody's hating on you, Draymond Green. I love how you play. You keep doing it because it fires me up. It makes me wish that I was back on the floor. And it, you know, if you're playing alongside a Draymond Green, Nobody in this universe, if you're a basketball player, is getting upset at Draymond Green. You want to be on his team. So, I mean, I mean, the Warriors are scary, man. They are scary. Yeah. I, I, that's all it is. Yeah, I had Dubs in five as my my pre-series prediction, and I, I felt like it was a little bit of a hot take. I'm feeling pretty good about that one now. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, that is every series wrapped up. As we talked about earlier, Heat Sixers play tonight and we'll see what happens but other than that these series are very very who you much got in that in who you got in that uh i think the heat take it tonight i think they go back down to miami up 3-1 okay. uh, they they won't play that bad again they're gonna have a game plan i think uh again danny green's not gonna shoot seven for ten tyrese maxi's not gonna tyrese maxi's been great but he's probably not gonna play as well as he did last night 
I think the Heat probably probably by six or seven. Okay. Well, I might have to throw a little piece on that one then for All you, right. Big Dog. I would appreciate that. Now we got a little bit of time left, and just to talk about something real quick that I think is going to be a bigger conversation into the offseason, but we're getting ahead of it. Um, we just talked about chippiness between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. Uh, the interaction with the fans ever since stadiums got full back from COVID has been interesting, to say the least. People kind of forgot how to act. Some of the athletes are getting – maybe the, the, they just didn't have it for so long. Now that they're getting it again, it's probably hitting a little bit different. Um, the – you know, there was the fans running on the floor during the Timberwolves-Grizzlies series. Things are getting a little out of hand, and I – just want to talk about that it's simmering right now it's at a simmer you know Lucas talking with fans uh Booker's always talking shit courtside at opposing teams the only team I and Draymond you know Draymond's always going to be working the opposing fans it's simmering right now but eventually something is going to give so before that happens and we have something really bad happen whether that be a fan coming on a player going in anything in between I want to talk about a fix that would you think would prevent this from happening or at least make it harder. And my number one fix, and this is something that I have wanted in NBA college basketball for a long time, mostly NBA. It's not as big a deal in college is can we just move the fans back, please? Just a little bit. I, and the fact that they're like, they stick fans in between the benches and the scorers table is mind blowing to me. Like I, I, I get those seats are expensive and there are a big revenue, bringer in I guess for these these teams because those tickets cost ten thousand dollars and it's no more expensive to have those fans there than a fan in the hundreds or the 300 excuse me but can we just move them back please just 10 feet not even five feet give them a little bit more space space is always a good healer especially underneath the baskets back them up let these guys fall down and not have to be worried about crashing into fans I think if we move them back even that little bit maybe even go back to the, the, not maybe not the full COVID benches, but the old ones where they had like a little bit more space and then some fans. I think that would be massively, massively helpful for the situation. I, you don't have to take them away entirely. Just back them up a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't. So I, I was trying to think of a take about this because I know you brought this in mm-hmm. to me before we started. And my biggest thing is I don't want it to be like football, you know, a full ring around and no fans can get any access because for me i've been to you know a handful of you know nba games and i everybody wants to sit close you closer you are the better the the action is the more at least coming from a player's perspective the more you feel like you're actually back on the floor you can hear them talking um but at the same time i do understand like the biggest thing that i have a problem with is like if you're going to have player or, or fans sit courtside on, you know, the uh, inline or what, what's this line? Not the baseline, but the sideline sideline. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you got to put them on the, on the, the baseline too, because they have all the reporters there. If you really want to do it that way, you should be, you know, packing this place full. Not that saying that that's what I want, but on the flip side of that, I don't know if I would move them back. Um, because it is cool to see, you know, famous celebrities sitting there when you're watching a game, like, you know, Drake's fucking dabbing up Nick Nurse at the fucking Raptors stuff. Um, I don't know if the the move is to move them back, but maybe restrict or make a, a policy even more strict in terms of 
if you do interact, if you are the guy that, you know, interacts with the player, it's lifetime banned to all. Like right now it's only, you know, banned from that arena. It's lifetime banned. You can never come back. Maybe that is a, a solution to this um, because you don't want another like malice in the palace, obviously. And you're kind of right. I do kind of agree a little bit that it's a little simmering because um, there are some instances where, you know, John Morant was walking back to the locker room and you could, you could hear on the live mic and, and that they're just somebody's, you know, saying some bullshit to John Morant. And if anything, John Morant turns around, if there's an aisle, he could be so fed up at that point, he'll run up there and do something. I don't know, but it's a good question. I think there should be, I, I don't mind moving the fans back, but maybe like a foot, you know, make it more like a, a full kind of football feel, make it a, you know, you could put up a little boundary where no fans could get into the arena, push it back a foot and a half and give them a little more room to play. But, um, and then another thing on that was like, maybe you had, like in college, like for the NCAA tournament, you know how they have the, the raised floor, not that we want a raised floor, but with the raised floor, it forces people to move, be moved back. You know what I mean? So maybe something like that. Um, because then on the baseline, you, you I mean, the fan, the whatever that is, the fan group or the, what the fuck are they called for college? The student section? Student section. What the fuck am I thinking about? <laughs> um, that shit is way back. That's like 15, 20 feet almost behind the, the basket sometimes. So that could be a play. I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe yeah, I don't think there's like, like a true fix to it because asshole fans are going to be asshole fans sensitive players are going to be sensitive about stuff. It's, it's it, those things are always going to go hand in hand. And I don't think anybody's wrong in the situation besides some asshole fans are entirely in the wrong, but you get what I'm saying. Um, it's, it's, there is no easy fix to it. Uh, but I will just say how easy it was for those fans in Minnesota to get onto the floor and do the That's things they wild, did yeah. was a little scary. And eventually it only took like security, like the video of him, like that one security guard literally stalking that girl out before she went to the floor. It, it was scary. And I, and I, I don't think a fan would ever attack a player or a referee or a coach or anybody, but it was a little alarming how easy it was that if any of those people, instead of protesting dead chickens had decided they really wanted to punch Anthony Edwards in the face could have done it. So I'm not, I, you would be an absolute <laughs> idiot to punch any of these guys in the face, especially um, Anthony Edwards. I know Anthony Edwards is about it. I would honestly, I would like to see a fan try to punch Anthony Edwards in the face. I don't think another fan would try anything for a long time after that, but it, it was a little alarming. And that's just something for me where I'm like, maybe just a little bit more space would help. But again, I don't think there's any true fix to it really. Yeah. I, I mean, the, you would be dumb. I don't think I'm ever thinking about punching any of these athletes or mm -hmm. trying to get an altercation with them being how I sit on this, in this world, but, but yeah, I do think there should be some type of ruling or, you know, just a, a policy in place or even move, start moving it back inch by inch, but it's a, it's a good, good, uh, a good topic to think about because it, it, it could be one of those that, you know, we could have prevented this before it happened type of deal. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Get get think, JP, yeah. get JP the pass. We need him on the we need him. We need hey, him I can promise it. you NBA, if you put me courtside, I will be the best behaved courtside <laughs> fan you have ever had. I will I was golf claps supporting both teams the whole nine. I'm I'm down. Just get me in there and I'll I'll make some things happen. But 
I believe that is all the time we have. Mr. Nash, so if you're ready to namaste us out, I think I'm ready to get on out of here. Yeah, man. If you ain't got anything else, I will definitely namaste these fools out here. So namaste. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week, man. Namaste to you guys. Namaste. Straight hustling